the buildings that were being used for uh, retail purposes, shall I say, um, they would do their, they were, you know, doing their business and this kid on a bike would ride up and down and he had a signal and he was signaling the dudes at the building <laughs> that the cops were turning in. They would get out, drive off in their car. The cops would come up the street. The guy would ride right back down behind it on his bike. The cops would go around. He'd ride back up. He'd signal them. They'd come back in. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got Janine Tompkins with me today. Janine, how are things out in the Raleigh area? Oh, they're good. We're, you know, hunkering down, staying huh? at home. Not, not, uh, we're social distancing. Yeah. Janine hopped on the call and was like, aren't you brave using video in this day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. She's got some of the best stories that I've heard so far. <laughs> oh, God. Lady to the podcast, so congrats on being the first. Well, you're welcome. Will you give the listeners a little bit of your background, and then let's go to the property in Durham and hear about the picture. Okay. Okay, sure. My background is um, I'm actually a certified financial planner, and so I do have a day job as a CFP um, with a large brokerage firm that um, will remain nameless so I can stay in my day job for now. Um, and so I've been investing for, gosh, since the mid nineties. Um, when I, earlier in my career, I was a trust officer for a bank and my um, good old boy customers that used to just come in with bags of cash. I was like, you know, where is, where are these guys that can't even put together a sentence in English coming in, in proper English, I should say, coming with all this money. And they're like, honey, you just need to get yourself some rental property. And it's exactly like that. Um, so that's when I started investigating rental property and uh, got myself a couple of houses from a Marshall's auction. <laughs> So, and that's how I got started. And my husband and I spent many a night after work and on the weekends, ripping up carpet, renovating a house or two here and there. Um, and, and that's how we came about doing it. And then um, around 2000, 2001, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be a great idea to get into some multifamily? So I did. I wish I had done a little bit better due diligence on the neighborhood because that's where my, my pit bull puppy doghouse story comes from and um, you know lo and behold a few years later continued to do single-family homes got out of the apartment business and then um, bought a mobile home park a few years ago which had been a long-time goal of mine and my friends all kind of thought I was crazy that you know for 20 years I've been looking at trailer parks and I finally got one and um, so then I have a few more good stories that have arisen from from that purchase I've got to ask, you're fine, mm -hmm. or why in the world are you not just putting the money in the market and letting it bake? Well, I do believe as a 
financial planner in diversification of assets and that you should not have all of your eggs in one basket. And so, you know, I believe in having some stocks and um, maybe some bonds if I'm older and real estate and being diversified keeps your total portfolio from completely tanking in a time like now, because luckily, I mean, I have other, I have all these different asset classes and that's just like the basic tenets of a, a good financial plan is be diversified. Okay. And so yeah. you bought quads and Durham? I did. Yeah. What happened after you got those under contract? And okay. <laughs> So I, I bought them from some guys. So let me, there's a little backstory on this. I had a bank client who actually bought one of these quads and lived in it. And she was this mild mannered um, school librarian at a, at a junior high school in Durham. And she said, yeah, I bought these, uh, I bought myself a quadruplex and um, it's in a drug neighborhood, but it's improving and I'm helping improve it. And so I thought, okay, well, she's a smart lady. And sure enough, I mean, she was, chasing down drug dealers herself and, and shaming them and stuff. And so a couple of years later, three of these quads come on the market and some guys who had bought them for next to nothing were, you know, flipping them and they had renovated them and done a pretty decent job. So bottom, everything's fine. Then the bottom drops out of the economy around 2000 after nine 11 and what I didn't realize is that if you get a couple of bad eggs on a street and you don't have the control over all of the buildings on that street, you lose control of a lot. And so um, there were several landlords that owned several buildings on this road. We didn't all own all of them. It was like three or four different parties. And one of them was just not as discerning about his tenant bases as maybe some of the others of us. And we had a neighborhood drug dealer who got himself a pit bull puppy and I had an empty unit and he decided that my empty apartment would be perfect as a dog house for his cute little pit bull puppy. So they broke in the back bedroom, opened up the window, put a bowl of water and food and installed their pit bull puppy as my newest tenant. But they did not bother to sign a lease, put on a deposit, much less pay rent. So we get a phone call <laughs> and there's a pit bull puppy living in my empty apartment. <laughs> my upstairs neighbor was not real happy about that. So, what yeah. do you know about that? So interestingly enough, we, you know, kind of didn't know what to do. So we called the police, um, which turns out in this neighborhood, they even quit coming to that neighborhood when you would call them amazingly enough. Um, but anyway, we did get an officer on the site and he was like, okay, well, we can call, do you want the dog? And we're like, well, no, we have a dog. He's a cute little dog. He's probably like, you know, three months old or something cute as he could be. And he said, well, all right, well, I'm gonna have to call animal services to come pick it up, you know, cause we don't know whose dog this is. Well, about the same time, this dude drives up on a bicycle and says, where are you going with my boy's dog? <laughs> we're like, your boy's dog is living in my empty apartment and he's not paying rent. <laughs> so at that point in time, the Durham police officer looked at the guy and he's like, so who's your boy? You know, and at that point in time, we saw the boy, his boy, whatever, his homie, um, ride up the street <laughs> looking out the window <laughs> and going, that's my dog, you know, and the police are there and we're there and his you know guy is there and we're all looking at each other and the cop just says all right you tell your guy he can call me he gave him his card 
we're taking the dog to the pound. If he wants his dog, he knows where to come and get it. Um, so that was the end of that story right now. I don't know if maybe the man, you know, went down and paid to bail out his dog or what, but <laughs> we had to, <laughs> we did have to pay to replace the back window and some carpet because, you know, dogs do what dogs do. He had, it was a two bedroom apartment and he was using one bedroom to sleep in and one bedroom to poop in and the living room to entertain in. And he did eat and drink in the kitchen. So that's nice, but yeah. Whew. So, I mean, how was the unit vacant for long? Was it vacant for a long time? Like, no, um, it didn't take. So again, you got to go back to, this is 2001, 2002. There wasn't a housing shortage in Durham like there is now. Um, now, I mean, units don't stay vacant, but maybe five or 10 minutes, no matter what part of town they're in. This was at a time where some gang violence had broken out. And somehow this particular street had gotten taken over by a gang. I mean, like we even had a guy who was snitching. They took him out around behind these buildings and castrated him. It was that bad. Oh yeah. I like the look on your face. <laughs> um, so it wasn't like that when we bought them, but it happened literally like within an eight to 12 week span that this neighborhood went from just being, you know, little kids on tricycles and, to a gang infested, like some shootouts and stuff like that. And then all your good tenants, of course, they get out because they've got choices and you either got empty units or people who can't go anywhere else. Um, so what, I forgot what your question was already. So that, that's the background on the property. Vacant for a long time. No, it had been vacant for maybe a week, week or two. Wow. And so did you buy it vacant or did the resident get evicted or something? No, um, I did not buy it vacant. The resident had moved out because again, you know, the neighborhood suddenly had this big turn because of these um, illegal activities that, that cropped up and, you know, they just were like, we can't live here. We got little kids. And so they had moved out and um, yeah, it was, we had just cleaned it up, you know, vacuumed, cleaning the rugs, repainted, made it perfect, prepped it for the next, <laughs> the next tenant, not realizing the next tenant was going to have four legs and bad potty training. Wow. Is there yeah. anything that you could have done to prevent this from happening? Um, you know, I go back and I, I, I ask myself that a lot. Um, I don't think there was, I think what could have prevented it from happening was having a tighter relationship with the other landlords on the street. And once we did start to get to know one another and we figured out who, you can't help somebody who's negligent. And there was a guy who was out of state, didn't care. I think this for him was sort of a tax write-off. He didn't care if he made money or lost money on it. And the other two or three of us that were local, you know, we actually did care. And um, I, I mean, it was just, you can't fight an invisible foe, I guess. And when your co-owner or co-landlord lives, you know, four states away and doesn't care about their property and doesn't care about renting it, the longer, you know, when you have vacant units, people who don't pay are going to move in. And I mean, and that's what's happened is, is some, you know, nefarious dudes found some empty places and figured out they could set up shop in there when they did it scared all the paying tenants off. Yikes. So did, yeah. 
talk to the police or anything to try to get them to step up patrol? All the time. All the time. Yeah. And what I started patrolling it. Yeah. Me, my minivan, and my, my two kids in the back seat. We were just like, all right, I'm going to sit here one afternoon. Actually, I, I took the kids to school. It was me and my dog. We sat there in our Plymouth Grand Voyager minivan one afternoon just to kind of see what was happening. And yeah, the cops had set up patrols. They were doing drive-bys. And what was, there was, the street is lined with these quadruplexes. And behind it, a guy would ride his bike up and down behind the buildings, keeping watch for the cops. And so the buildings that were being used for uh, retail purposes, shall I say, um, they would do their, they were, you know, doing their business and this kid on a bike would ride up and down and he had a signal and he was signaling the dudes at the building <laughs> that the cops were turning in. They would get out, drive off in their car. The cops would come up the street. The guy would ride right back down behind it on his bike. The cops would go around. He'd ride back up. He'd signal them. They'd come back in. Because, again, this was pre-iPhone days. I may, I'm not even sure he had a flip phone for that matter. But <laughs> he had some kind of way of signaling what, when it was safe to be there and when it, they needed to get out. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. But wait, yeah. there's more. So, you <laughs> right? With, I did what? got a bigger property after that. I did. I got it. So well, I, I did sell that property. Um, God help me. I sold it and didn't lose money on it. And I sold it to a guy who lived in California <laughs> who showed up, you know, to give me the money and was like, girl, you, you need to buy some more of these things. I'm buying as many as I can. <laughs> I was like, give me the check, run into the bank <laughs> to, you know, to cash it before he could change his mind. And sadly, a few years later, and I, I figure, you know, he knows what he's doing. He was actually a police officer in Los Angeles and he owned a whole bunch of stuff down in Compton and he had sold some stuff and he was 1031 and cause he figured that Durham had nothing on LA as far as, you know, legal activities. He was a cop. He'd seen everything. He wasn't scared of it. Um, but sadly, like during the 08, 09 crisis, I saw the buildings up in foreclosure and I thought, well, it didn't go well for him. Um, but now I'm seeing those same buildings going back on the market for double what I paid for them 20 years ago. So maybe things have turned around, I hope. Um, but yes, I decided after a few years of out of the real estate market, got back into it, um, you know, buying single family homes renovating them and holding them for rental property. And then finally got the trailer park of my dreams or nightmares, depending on what <laughs> day it is. <laughs> and so we can talk about that. Okay. So now uh, park owner, mobile yeah, park owner. I am on my home park. Mm -hmm. Did you put on the thick accent like the good old boys? Uh, <laughs> one of those or no? And depends on who I'm talking to down there. Um, the guy I bought it from tried to act like he was all down home. Turns out he's from Charlotte and there's nothing down home about him whatsoever. He's actually from Lake Norman. So um, if you know anything about that area, that's, you know, pretty shishi. So anyway, we came to terms. Turns out he had been up in Davidson County just buying stuff from, I don't know, I think he found himself a little honey pot and that he could buy the lapidated properties. There's a, a, a homeowner, a landowner, 
based out of state who had owned stuff for years and years and years. And now he was really old and um, didn't care anymore, depreciated everything. I guess he had all the money out of everything he needed. So he was selling properties to this guy for next to nothing. And he was renovating them. And so this one mobile home park that I bought had actually had had a tornado come through it and wipe everything out. So he bought it, you know, at a much reduced price and a Walmart was getting built where there had been a mobile home park and they took all the homes and just put them on the side of the road. They were so old, they really shouldn't have been moved legally in the state of North Carolina. And somehow this guy dragged them down and paid somebody to permit them for occupancy and occupancy <laughs> slapped a coat of paint on the outside of them so they look you know some of them look halfway decent <clears throat> and move people in and i bought it without having inspected every single home which is what i should have done What's up, guys? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investors. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now, let's get back to the episode. Wow. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. How many did you inspect out of the 20? <laughs> out of 21 that were there, um, and two of those were owner-occupied. So let's say 19 park-owned homes. I looked inside three of them. One, so, two, three, four. You, yeah. You, you sampled mm -hmm. 10%. Yeah. I said you sampled 10%. I sampled 10%, right, because I thought, you know, it might be a, a decent sampling. So once I closed on them, literally like the next day is when I got this flood of my heat doesn't work. And mind you, we bought this in December. So it was just now getting cold. Suddenly, like none of the homes had heat that worked. Um, bunch of them, the people were complaining they had holes in the floor and their kids were falling through the floor. Um, I mean, what else? You know, you name it. I was getting reports. And finally, you know, at this point in time, I did have a property manager that came with the park who seemed fairly competent. And um, <laughs> I see you laughing. <laughs> this was before things got, anyway, cascaded downward. So we finally just made a list of like, all right, you know, report what your, your maintenance issues are to the manager. We're going to triage this and make a list and you know if you don't have heat of course you're you know number one on the list and then you know if you've got a hole in the floor and your kids are falling through yeah that's also a top priority so anyway we had to triage these things and just it was like putting band-aids on you know a carotid artery <laughs> or something or whatever whack-a-mole I don't know every time I fix something something else popped up it was crazy um culminating in the summer after that of me getting a phone call in the middle of the night with a bunch of pictures of one of the units was on fire. <laughs> and it was actually one of the kind of decent ones. It was really a shame. <laughs> but you know, when your tenant gets in trouble and doesn't pay their child support, his girlfriend got mad at him and said, Said she's going to set his place, his stuff on fire, even though he hadn't been living there. She set my stuff on fire. And it turns out he'd been in jail for 
couple of months and that's why he was behind on his child support. Um, yeah. What else you want to talk about? <laughs> and um, so I think the final thing that we'll talk mm-hmm. about, well, how'd you fix that first? Let me make sure. Okay. So how did I fix that? It took a little while. Finally, I got more. Um, so let's see on top of all this, the day I bought this trailer park, I also decided to go to graduate school. And so I started grad school the Thursday after I bought the park on a Tuesday. So don't ever, and I work full time. Okay. So not a good mix. (laughs) I was like trying to go to grad school, work full time and handle a, let's just say piece of crap, (laughs) trailer park that has a lot of problems. So once I kind of, let's see, what did I do first? I um, took some time off of work and started really focusing on the park. And I got a friend of mine who was sort of semi-retired and lived close by and didn't have anything to do. So Jeff went down there and started going every day, just hanging out, looking at, you know, I had him say, let me, can you oversee the current manager and see what is going on down there? Because the current manager was also the handyman and he was supposed to be fixing stuff. And then I'd go down there. I'm like, you didn't do anything I told you to do. Or he did weird stuff. Like we had rocks lying in the road so that people would, you know, stay in the road or, you know, outline the parking spaces. Well, again, I learned this the hard way. Have you ever watched Breaking Bad? I've watched like one episode. Okay. One episode. All right. Well, there's a, an episode. Part of it is, you know, it's about meth addiction and, anyway, about meth. And one of the episodes, the guy who's Walt White's partner puts his meth buddies to work digging a hole. He said, meth, meth addicts, when they're high, they just need something to focus on and they'll dig a hole hole for hours and hours. Well, I also found out they'll also move rocks around for hours and hours (laughs) because this guy who was managing my park turned out also develop a meth addiction and so when I wanted him to be cleaning up something he decided that he didn't like the way the rocks were arranged and so he went around and for hours just picked up rocks and rearranged rocks instead of you know like bulldozing a burned out trailer and putting you know tree limbs into a a dumpster stuff like that um so how I got the you know a hold of the situation was my friend Jeff went down there hung around for a while, figured out what was really going on. And in the process met one of the longtime uh, tenants who never was late on his rent, you know, just a guy who had been trying to get in touch with me and the current manager wouldn't let him know who I was. So once Jeff got to know him, we figured out this, he came to me, he's like, you need to get, put these people in charge. They were really committed to the neighborhood. They've been there for several years. They don't like what's going on. He has a real job. He's a licensed electrician. And I think he's, you know, if you let him help you out, they're going to help you out. And so sure enough, you know, I got to know this guy. We had a kind of had a little dance to see if we could trust each other. And this is a trial period, this, that, and the other. And um, so he was like, if you trust me and I trust you, we'll work with you to clean this up. So I got him and there were two other families that had stuck with me who would call me up when things were really going sideways to let me know what was going on. And so they got, you know, just sort of organized themselves into sort of a neighborhood watch thing. 
figured out who was doing what that shouldn't be doing something. And we got rid of those people. We just evicted them. Um, so that emptied out about half of the tenants right there. We went from 21 tenants to one, two, three, like six tenants. <laughs> and so, um, and then I started replacing homes. We started renovating homes and then it kind of quickly figured out that you could pour four or $5,000 into a dilapid trailer and dilapidated trailer and you would still have a dilapidated trailer that stuff's still going to go wrong. And I found a couple of um, mobile home manufacturers that would um, help you replenish your stock. So they, like they finance you bring in their new product and we so we tore down a bunch of trailers and brought in 11 new ones and 11 new to us ones and when you get a nicer product you get a nicer tenant and when you've got somebody who lives on the property who cares about the property and organizes the rest of the folks to care about the property things start working out a whole lot better wow now it was a journey man how long did things go well with that property manager He's still there. Awesome. <laughs> He's going great. He's the nicest guy ever. He and his wife, you know, are kind of tag teaming. Like she does the paperwork. He does the manual labor. So, you know, he keeps everything cleaned up. He mows the grass. If people are, you know, got trash laying around, he gives them the, the warnings and says, you got to clean it up. And if they don't clean it up, then he cleans it up and charges them. But, you know, by and large, we've got people now in there who they all know one another. It went from, a neighborhood of people who didn't know their neighbors, didn't want to know their neighbors, were scared of each other and just were really, I mean, because again, I'm this, you didn't know, we had overdoses, we had people selling drugs, we had people using drugs, we had squatters, we had people we had evicted who'd been in prison, who came back and like just camped in the woods and stuff. I mean, it was, a, it was a mess. And as we, we got a better relationship developed between the community people like we started having cookouts and bonfires and I just sent a letter around and said I want this to be a community of people who know one another and who will help out each other I don't want to hear ever again I stay out of this or I stay out of that I'm like you all live here and you have a vested interest in making this a place that you want to be here if you don't want to be here leave if you want to know your neighbors stay and so I mean we kind of just made it that way and well, that's it. <laughs> it's yeah. Community makes all the difference. And huge difference. Yeah. So my last question, well, first, if people want to get in touch with you, how can mm -hmm. they? They can email me at Janine, J-A-N-E-N-E, -E, at pinegrovemhp.org. Great. And then the yeah. And is what words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? So I would say do as much due diligence as you possibly can on like the physical property itself. Like if you're buying a home, you always, this is what I kick myself. When I buy a home, I have it inspected. And then I know what I'm getting into when I'm renovating. Same thing goes for a mobile home. Mobile homes are easier to deal with than single family homes I found. Um, same thing about a neighborhood. So it's a, it's a wise idea to, you know, go hang out at a place where you're buying a property if you can on a weekend to see who's coming and going, you know, what people are doing. If they're out in their yards 
you know, playing or mowing the grass or just, you know, kicking back and having a beer, that's a good sign. If people are staying inside and there's no life to be found, I think that's a warning sign that people aren't comfortable hanging around outside. Um, talk to the people that live there. See if they like it, what they don't like about it. But, you know, I don't think you can ever do too much due diligence um, when it comes to, you know, the physical property itself and the neighborhood and who you're, who you're investing in. Janine, this was awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> I'm sure I'll have some more stories for you. We can go to, to uh, eviction court stories next time, and I can tell you lots more about that. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Thank you very much. I will You're welcome. Hey. Okie doke. Sounds good. Call me anytime. All right. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.